Um, again, the topic that uh, we have been discussing is how uh, potential funding cuts to post-secondary education in Alberta impacts the durability of the University of Lethbridge strategic plan. And uh, Dr. Hay can also describe how the UVL plans to serve in the best interests of students. I would invent, uh, invite speakers or uh, people with questions to come to the microphone found in front of uh, Lisa. We're Knut standing, and uh, we will begin. My name is Knut Peterson. Uh, thanks very much, Andrew, for your enlightening talk. Uh, my question, I think I already asked you, but so you have had a little neat time on this one, but at what point uh, will University of Lethbridge uh, not be a small university anymore if it keeps growing? It's a very good question. Um, if I had my druthers, I would say that we should always look to be that small university that does something different. Uh, there's a great advantage for us to be the one that is off step with the growth patterns elsewhere. Uh, there's an intimacy about the University of Lethbridge that is fostered by its size. We have at the moment just over 8,200 students and with the current infrastructure that we have, we're rapidly approaching the point where that's the size of the institution. I can't see it growing realistically way beyond that. I think 8,200, 8,300, or even a slight decline in student enrollment maybe where we're at. Now, that's not us sitting back and not looking for students. Our growth where we sit in student numbers will be dictated by the demographics. You all know in this room that the number of 18 to 24 year olds in the province of Alberta declines year in, year out. We've gone through the boom in 18 to 24 year olds. We're on the other side of that now. And it's not just in Alberta, but it's across Canada. The birth rate has declined. So even if things were to change tomorrow and the birth rate suddenly went up, we wouldn't see that in academia for another 18 years. So it's a long-term game. We'll be dictated, our growth, our, our enrollment will be dictated by the demographics, not only in southern Alberta, but across the whole of Canada and internationally. So I don't see us ever losing that wonderful thing of being a small university. Small, comprehensive university. Now, that's even better. Uh, that's, that, that would be something I, I'd really want to see. Good question, Kenneth. Thank you. Uh, Michael? Michael Cormack in here. I've been concerned for a number of years at seeing the increasing uh, kind of corporatization uh, influence within universities in general. I was just wondering if you could, in, in my mind, it kind of uh, goes against the uh, traditional kind of independence of universities and uh, especially when you have it, uh, you know, a building named after such and such a, an industry, XYZ industry or whatever. How do, uh, I'd like your comments on that. Mm -hmm. Well, you can see from what I already explained earlier with respect to strategic plan that there is a push um, with what we've achieved with the plan to move away from corporate language. The reality, however, of a university setup is that with only 67% of your funds coming from the government, there's a shortfall. 
if you don't want universities to talk to corporations, then they would have to be funded at a different level. I mean, a lot of our buildings, um, recent, some of the recent ventures that have gone on, have got support from taxpayers of Lethbridge in terms of donations from city council. Corporatization is an element of what we do. Whether we like it or not, we are not a small business. We're likely the largest employer in Lethbridge. We can't run it without having a company philosophy. So the two things actually, it, it's hard to keep it in balance. There's the business aspect of running the university, which demands a corporatization or a corporate approach. But then there's the academic side of the house that says, we will protect at all costs academic freedom. That's what I said last time I was at SACPA, and I don't back away from that. We are not going to have industry dictate what we shall do within the academic sphere. That's what I protect. But in terms of corporatization, I take it a different way. I mean, we have to run ourselves like a business. This is a serious game with serious amounts of money, over 160 million budget. This is serious business. Um, and some of the aspects of running a business flow into what we do, and I think correctly. But on the academic side, completely agree. I'm the first one to say no outside interference. We do what we do, and we will fight that battle forever because we have to be the place where ideas can go forward, no matter how unpalatable they are to some people. Ideas must be pursued. That is the luxury of a university. That, as taxpayers, is what you should be asking for. Next question. Um, when people are asking questions, if they could just state their name first. I'm Gary Stoffer. Okay. I have two questions for you. Um, your salaries plus benefits came out to about 81%. Is that in line with the other comprehensive universities in the province and in Canada? Secondly, I have had uh, my children go to all three of the universities, in uh, the comprehensive universities in the province. I see two great advantages, once I have talked to them, regarding the U of L. The first is the helpfulness of the academic staff and of the auxiliary staff for these students, you are basically a number up in U of A and U of C. Secondly, the ratio, the academic ratio to student numbers, much smaller classes, much better chance <coughs> to speak with the professors. How much of an impact will the reduction in uh, the money from the government have on these advantages? And what is the university doing to lessen this impact that will likely come? Thanks, Gary. Some very good questions there. Let me start with our first one with respect to the uh, level of salary or the level of compensation for our faculties. It's very much in line with other comprehensive universities. We're not an anomaly on the grid. Uh, you will find in most post-secondary institutions, not just in Alberta but across Canada, that the majority of their outgoing, their expenses, goes to salary. That's the nature of the beast. In some ways, you know the academic model. You know the academic uh, progression, how one ends up at a university. You often don't get there till your early 30s, by which time you've got your first paying job when you start as a professor. Salaries rise very well. We're well compensated for what we do, 
but there has been years and years of expense before you get to that piece. So the model is well established across the piece, and we're not out of line with that. It is a concern, however, as you can see, if you're, if you're going into times when you've got 0% increases on your base operating grant about the level of the salaries. Now, uh, with respect to your other questions, thank you for your comments uh, with respect to what the experiences you, you've seen for the students. I don't disagree. One of, the, one of the real selling points of the University of Lethbridge is this ability to create that community of engagement that looking after of students, name, not a number. Very good observation. Uh, that's what we pride ourselves on. And the student service model is something that we have a great deal of pride in at the university. We do believe that our advantage is offering those services to students that they won't see at the larger institutions. With the upcoming um, budget piece, how will that affect our, our programming? Um, it's likely, I, I would be very naive to say there won't be an impact. As to a measurable impact, I would hope not at this stage, Gary. Um, we're certainly looking at ways in which we can enhance the student experience. If we do, if we do, not when, if we have to go to larger class sizes, not dramatically larger, because we simply don't have large lecture rooms at the University of Lethbridge. We're sort of confined by space. We will put in programs that will mentor students in addition to the classroom experience. We will make sure they have face-to-face -face contact. And we will use our graduate students to help and support, listen, not teach the courses, but to support the academic endeavor. Because that is part of their training as graduate students, is learning how to move through the academic experience. So we will use all the tools we have at our disposal to ensure that the quality of the overall experience at the University of Lethbridge is not affected. You've picked up very quickly on the purpose of those two pie charts. You can see exactly where the issue is. The issue is not enough money coming in, lots of money flowing out the salary. There'll be some very interesting negotiations with all employee groups as we move forward. It would be incorrect for me to comment more on that at this stage, but it's going to be a challenging environment. There's no doubt about it. We're bound by a collective agreement with our faculty, and we honor that. As academics, I'm an administrator, but I'm an academic. We honor that because we came up that way. There's no foolhardy decisions going to be made. We're going to make sure that the quality of the programs are looked after, and we'll do our best at the table. So you asked some very good questions. Um, there will be an effect on the academic side of the house. It's almost unavoidable. But um, our job is to keep our eye on the prize and make sure we're still moving to where we need to be without losing our identity in this. And as I said on one of the slides, remain focused on what's important. Thank you. My name is Tad Mitsui, and thank you, Andrew. I heard you, about Tad. your inspiring speeches from my wife. You should have been the preacher. <laughs> our church needs you. Uh, uh, my question <laughs> is about future of the university in terms of a demographics. You mentioned answering the first question. We live next to the largest reserve in Canada. And secondly, Lethbridge is often referred to as retirement, retirement community. 
I wonder if university is thinking about those two target groups, First Nations and seniors. And I first, quick, uh, first group, uh, do you have any strategic planning vis-a-vis -vis First Nations? Secondly, for the seniors, when I, as soon as I got to university, I, I uh, tried to find out if a person like me can take courses. I didn't get any answer. So I just spoke to uh, friends and professors. Can I sit in in your class? I didn't want to bother them with my crummy papers. Uh, so I just sat in. Every year I sat in in different classes. And uh, many teachers told me that it's a good thing to have experienced people sitting among students. That will enhance the quality of the class. And I mentioned this experience with other friends in, uh, you know, gray-haired people. And a lot of people asked me, how did you manage that? So I said, I just went to the professor and asked them if I could sit in. And they said, sure, come in and sit. And so I do that every year. And uh, this community, retirement community, and they are not stupid community, as you could see here, quality of questioning. They are smart people. And they have money, too. If you're looking for endowment, that's a very fertile field. So what is your plan for seniors and First Nations? Thank you. Thank you, Todd. Excellent questions. Let's start off with a general picture of the demographics. Within the local area, we're actually predicted to have a decrease in our 18 to 24-year-olds, about 1.5% over the next few years. Combined with that lower high school completion rate, which should be an embarrassment for the whole of Alberta, that means we're going to be struggling for 18 to 24-year-olds. The only group in which there is a reversal in that trend in the local area is within First Nations people. They are one of the most rapidly growing groups of 18 to 24 year olds within Canada. What do we do to attract First Nations people? Well, we've put in a number of programs. Um, one of the things that is a challenge uh, for First Nations peoples is first of all that completion of high school. Traditional entry points into post-secondary are not that useful for that community. And we've put a lot of work into something called the First Nations Transition Program to try and provide an alternate way into the university system. We've had reasonable success. I'm not here to sugarcoat it. I think we have a lot of problems still to sort out with that type of programming. A more traditional way of one-size-fits-all does not work. One-size funding for such programs from the Alberta government does not work. It costs a lot of money to engage First Nations people from the non-traditional route. The style of lecture, the style of engagement is entirely different. And we know that, but for many years we didn't listen. 
The challenge for us as we move forward will be to ensure that that First Nations transition program actually provides a successful bridge into the baccalaureate programs and beyond for those people. And that doesn't mean that today we have the answers. But I'm proud to say we are looking at it and we recognize there are issues with what we've got and we're working at it. We're doing a lot of listening to the community. We're listening to their elders and saying, well, what is it, where we're, what is it exactly where we're letting you down? The completion rate has been awful. Where do we let you down? And then can we put some things in place that will really sustain the program? One of the successes we had was with the Nitsitapi teacher education program at the university. It was a massive departure from the usual Bachelor of Education program. Let me be very clear here. The end point, the arrival point, is identical in both programs. The quality is identical in both programs. But the way you get to that baccalaureate B.Ed. is remarkably different. And that has been the downfall of many of the ways we have taught in the past. So, Tad, we are looking at ways to engage the First Nations communities. We're listening to what's been needed. We've, we've branched out on that teacher education part at the bachelor's level, and now we've engaged a lot of people out of uh, the Red Crow College in particular into a master's level program to bring up the standard of teaching out on the reserve as well. And that will bear fruits down the line. Not immediately, not in a four-year span of a government, but we're down the line. That's the sort of thing we're trying to do. Turning to more mature students, not grey-head students, because I got those myself. Um, mature students, you're right. They give a different dynamic in the class. And traditionally, the system has been set up for that 18 to 24-year-old demographic. But you'll see some changes. A lot of the things that we're doing now with community outreach are there with the idea, the back of our minds, that more open studies opportunities are going to be made available. Not just for seniors, but for anybody who wants to come and attend a series of, say, philosophers' cafes downtown. That's the sort of thing we're going to be offering there in connection with groups like SACPA. We're going to offer credits down the line for those types of experiences. But certainly within the university, your strategy of going up to the prof and saying, hey, can I sit in? That works. We haven't traditionally marketed ourselves <laughs> to that demographic. I can see that changing. I want to pay, but you don't get my money. <laughs> Come and see me. I'll take your money anytime. <laughs> you, 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 of course, you, you nail it. I mean, the, the, the largest demographic here in Lethbridge and community is a senior student. So, yeah, there's opportunity then. We, re we recognize that. We're not, uh, we're not fully where we want to be, but give us time. We see it. All right, next question. Moira Watson, thank you again. Th another excellent presentation. I actually was hoping to ask a question similar to uh, Mr. Mitsui's about seniors and uh, the different opportunities that the university is is looking at in terms of recruitment and retention, mm -hmm. given the demographics that you've you've discussed. What about international recruitment and 
utilizing, if not the government, the provincial government funding in terms of actual, real, tangible dollars. But, I mean, it's been fairly widely publicized that the provincial government has staff all over the world, uh, mm -hmm. not not within the federal um, commissions and and, uh, mm -hmm. and assemblies. Or, sorry. <laughs> we, 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 but, we do. Alberta has representatives in Mexico, and yeah, we also Washington, have representatives in China. Hong Kong. Yeah. Alberta is out there. Absolutely. There's no doubt about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so will the face of the, the university, the comprehensive university student, have more of an international flair, if not a, a gray-haired flair or, <laughs> or, or whatever? It's a very and good thank question. You. Thank you. Um, some time ago, we were mandated by the board to look to a, a percentage of international students within our community, the university community, of approximately 8% as a max. We currently sit at about 6% international students. At one time, only about two or three years ago, the majority of those students came from China. And that was a risk element. And we've changed that. We're now of that 6%. Yes, China is still the the most widely represented group. But overall, we have, country, we have students from over 80 countries at the University of Lethbridge. We are a true melting point of uh, internationalization. And that is purposeful. If you're going to internationalize a campus, it should be done with very, very broad brushstrokes. We do not, at the institution have any plans to go beyond that board mandated 8%. Some of our colleagues out in the East and the universities there have gone up to 15, 20% international students and beyond in some cases. Given the very aggressive approach to international recruitment that many European and Australian universities are taking, that would be pretty foolhardy. The game is such now that many of the UK red brick universities, so-called red bricks, are actually establishing their own campuses in China and in India. University of Nottingham is an example. There is a University of Nottingham in China. There are many Australian universities in China. Why? Because that's where the students are. But you have to think that the Chinese government will get onto this pretty quick and stop or restrict the movement of students out of China. And I think that's what you're beginning to see. The flow of students from those countries, India, China, will decrease. Therefore, we're not going to put the university at risk in that way. I don't see that as being a solution to where we want to be as an institution. I fully support the internationalization of the campus. I think it brings elements to an education that you can't get in any other way. The students, the faculty, are a true melting pot of culture and education experience. And I can't see that changing. But I, I don't see the overall recruitment model changing to rely on an intake of more than 8% internationals. Next question. Thank you. Gail Horner. And you Gail. answered some questions about international students that, that, that I had. And hope that there is still going to be support for those students who are coming, uh, have realized that there are a lot of difficulties for them. Yes. And while they 
add to the campus life and to the other students, they do need or have need for some supports as well. Yes. The other question that we were having at our table was, you spoke of a new building downtown, um, but we were unaware of it. Could you elaborate on the purpose Absolutely. of that building first off, please? Absolutely. Um, it's called the Penny Building. Uh, many of you will have known it in the past as a furniture store downtown opposite the Penny University Coffee House. Yep. It's the new building. In terms of the development that's down there, it's the building that was raised to the ground about 15 years ago and rebuilt up as a furniture store. It then changed hands into, a, I believe it was a bar and a pool house, and more recently has been empty for a period of about three years, Nancy, somewhere in there. The opportunity was presented to the university to become a player for that building, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to come to the table with the owner of the building and sort out an arrangement that would place us downtown. You'll know today by the fact that the Southern Alberta Art Gallery has its operation operating from there whilst they're having the renovations done at the SAG. Uh, we were also the home of the senior, Southern Alberta Seniors Games, all the organization of that. We provided that building space so that they could operate out of there. Again, all very purposeful because we're trying to live our plan. We're trying to be an arm of the community in a different way. So when the SAG was looking for somewhere to go, the university can extend that hand and say, we can help you. We can do it. So look downtown. And look in the next few years, as things move forward with it, for a lot more activity from the university itself taking place there. We're talking about Philosopher's Cafe. We're talking about lecture series coming out of there. There's a very, very uh, successful series that comes out from Big Rock University, <laughs> it's called, uh, in Calgary. Um, this is the operation run by uh, Dr. McNally, who runs Big Rock Breweries. And what he does is he opens up the very, very nice restaurant of the brewery and invites speakers, including my own president at one stage, uh, not say the title, Bill, uh, to, give it, to give talks. They're very well attended. That is an operation that may extend out into the community here in Lethbridge. Again, uh, it's a possibility for the future. So look out for us. Uh, you'll see more programming, more activity, all community-driven. That's what you'll see. And I thank you very much for the, the presentation as well as your reply to the questions. And as a fairly recent transplant to Lethbridge, I want to express my the appreciation and thank you and congratulations to the university. Thank uh, you very what, much. What I've seen has been very, very impressive. Thank and you. we do thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. My name is Knut Peterson. Am I allowed a second question? <laughs> well, I want to ask a question too, so yeah, sure. Okay. If, if there's no other questions, we'll... Andrew, I can't uh, help but give a little plug for our uh, ladies rugby team. Uh, Pronghorn, they won the national championship Absolutely. for the third yeah. time. Yeah. Thank you, Knut. Uh, but I'd like to comment, have you comment on the value of athletics at the university in terms of outreach to the community like you. Absolutely. Any institution looks to be a central part of its community. Having athletics programs, 
sports teams, and what's more, opportunities for other teams, local high school teams, to come to your campus really encapsulates what a university is all about. The teams that we have and the sports that the university is engaged in are real added value to what we do. It is part of the liberal education philosophy that athletic activity is a cornerstone. We're not going to move away from that. This is not 93-94 when we're looking for vertical cuts of teams. I think that's where you are going. <laughs> this is not that. We believe in the value that they, that they uh, bring to the institution. You'll have noticed, um, maybe in the last five years, the investment we have made in recreational activities, not just for our students, but for the whole community. The First Choice Savings Center at the university, that wonderful gymnasium facility, it hasn't only benefited our students, it benefits everyone within Lethbridge. Nancy, is it about 40% outside participation, not just our students coming in? Over 40% of the usage comes from community members. That's what a university is all about. It brings people together. The sports stadium, what has it done? It shifted the focus of sporting activity in this city to the west side. It's brought people across to the university that have never been there. Sport has done that. We recognize its importance, and it's something that we'll keep going. There's no doubt about it. It's an important part of where we want to go. And as my boy's a soccer player, you can guess where I'm going. <laughs> well, I had three questions, and uh, they were all asked pretty much. So we're just going to end it at that. Again, uh, thank you, Dr. Haking, for coming to give this presentation, and thank you for everybody for attending. Um, again, let's give a thank you to Dr. K um, Haken. And have a good rest of the afternoon. Thank you very much, Justin.